Superman Forever Radio, Episode 104, Lois Lane, Superwoman of Krypton. than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, people can leave tall buildings at a single bound, the instant of ship town is now the man of steel, Superman! Hello and welcome to the Superman Forever radio podcast. My name is Bob Fisher. This is a podcast where I talk about Superman from 1938 to rebirth and beyond. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You ever read a comic book like when you were a kid and, you know, you read it when you first get it and then you put it away and... Uh, as the years passed, you, you have fond memories of that comic book. And maybe when you see the cover somewhere online or something, you go, oh, yeah, wow, great cover. Great. That was a great story. I, and you have fond memories of that story. And then you go back and read it after 50 years, and you realize, wow, memory plays a little few tricks on you. There are maybe certain things about the story that you remember, certain looks, certain artwork, certain phrasing, certain story elements maybe, but it's not quite how you remembered the story. Well, we'll take a look at Lois Lane as the superwoman from Krypton in a little bit, but first I thought up front I'd talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of Superman, just kind of off the top of my head. There's, you know, because there's so much goodness happening right now if you're a Superman fan, and actually overall a DC fan, I must admit, it's it's just been, as far as comics go, DC, thank you so much. You're walking a very tricky line right now, but you're handling it so well that that I am thoroughly enjoying these comic books. I haven't enjoyed comics, I think, this much for a long time. And and uh, pretty much everything I've picked up at DC, uh, from DC, has, has really been good. Uh, of course, I'm reading the super books, action, Superman. Uh, I read the Super Dash Man, Super Hyphen Man, uh, the the new Asian Superman. But you know, to me right now, the highlight is action comics and Superman comics. Peter Tomasi and company are just really knocking it out of the park over there. And it, like I say, it's kind of a tricky line because what they have really done is. Uh, if you're not following, they have taken the post-crisis, what many people will call the John Byrne, uh, I'll say the John Byrne era, even though this Superman, I think most of the characteristics and stuff that are coming out of this Superman come from the later uh, Dan Jurgens era more than the Byrne. But the the point is, what they've really done is taken that Superman, as if his life had continued on and something blah, 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 if you didn't read Convergence and, and those things. There were lots of wars going on and lots of battles between all the different Earths to see which city, which multiverse, which this, which that survived these battles. But during all of that process, the Superman from the post-crisis era that was married to Lois Lane, and they have a child, and that child is roughly 10, 11 years old right now, but it's that Superman that they have now placed in the New 52, quote, universe. 
uh, I guess that should be, quote, New 52, end quote, universe. And how he reacts. And, you know, it's really weird because it is that other Superman. Right away, the feeling, the inner dialogue, the actions, the motivations, the the shining light on the hill, the guy who tries to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. That guy, a little older, a little more mature, a little more confident has been put in the new 52 universe. And they're running so many little threads at us. They're dangling all of these little things at us. And it's fun. It's just terrific. Who's this new Clark Kent? Is Lex Luthor really a good guy? What are they going to do with the two Lois Lanes? Are they going to get Superman and Clark together? How are they going to bring it back? Are they going to put him back in the Daily Planet with all of his people? It's so many good things. And they're doing a real nice balance so far. Now, we're early into this, of course, but, you know, one of the problems that I have is, and this has happened so many times in the past with sitcoms or TV shows or things that you enjoy where it starts off that the couple uh, become friendly, they date, they have this sexual tension, this stuff happening, and then they get married and everything changes. Some good, some not so good. But everything changes when a person gets married. And we did that for twenty, roughly 20 years in, in the uh, post-crisis era, the pre-New 52 era, where Superman and Lois were married. Now they have a child. They've taken that Superman and put him back in the New 52. And, how, and I am just thoroughly enjoying it. So they're walking that thin line. Because as I was getting ready to say about the child, I'm not uh, usually a fan of introducing a baby or a child into an established story. Uh, I think it's one thing if you establish the character early that um, I I think, for example, had in the Silver Age, had uh, Ralph and Sue Dibney, uh, had they not killed her off, but had had they had a child or something, that would have been natural because that seemed to be an organic way that 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 character and his wife were, were going. So many times, though, someone will come up with something and they'll shoehorn it in and then they're stuck with it. So I didn't know how I was going to react to this. But so far, um, I think they're handling the whole idea of Super Daddy and Lois and Little John really well. They're not. Um, well, they, I, I, I enjoy it. We'll talk more in detail. I, I don't want to spend because there's so much again. I don't want to get bogged down in the comics right now because I want to talk about that in a little bit uh, down the road. But uh, I just want to say, if you're if you're hesitant um, because you haven't read comics in a while and you're thinking, well, it's not my Superman, it's just not something I enjoy, I'm going to tell you, uh, I think they're knocking it out of the block, uh, out of the ballpark here. This Superman feels like Superman. It feels like Lois, and the little storylines that they're dangling at us, um, I just can't wait to see how it how it pans out. And that's across the board with DC. I had stopped reading a lot of DC comics because when the New 52 came out, I was reading a lot of them at first just to see what was going on with the New 52 and get a feel for it. And of course, they, because of money and, and just time and all those other things, you know, you start eliminating and getting down to the core comics you want to read. And it just, for me, got back down to the Superman books and not because I wanted to read them, because I felt like I had to, and that I was just hoping they would get better. And they just, to me, personally never did. I never really got into the New 52 Superman. 
And then at the very end, they make him uh, the character that we all had hoped he had been in the beginning, and he dies. So, bye-bye. But across the board, Detective, Batman, very interesting stuff they're doing with with, uh, Batman over there. Uh, Flash, Green Lantern I'm reading again. And the Hal Jordan Green Lantern Corps looks very interesting. So I'm reading that. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Justice League, of course, because it's got this Superman in it now. And how is he going to deal with... Remember, these are the new 52 Justice Leaguers. So anyway, it's it's interesting what they're doing at the comic. So yay, DC. Thank you very much for making Wednesdays happy again. Yay! Uh, turning to TV quickly, we have a Superman for the Supergirl... TV show. And his name is Tyler Hecklin. I think generally the internet seems to be okay with him, but there and the costume. You know, I mentioned this earlier when I found out who the actor was going to be before I even saw him. Uh, just based on his bio uh, versus uh, uh, Melissa Benoist's bio, they're practically the same age in real life. So we'll have to see how that works out. And of course, you know, you could bring in all the kinds of stuff. Kryptonians age differently, blah, 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 all that other stuff. Uh, All of it will, you know, melt away. All criticism will melt away uh, if the performance is good, if it's believable that this is a mature uh, guy who's been on the job. But again, it's her show. I still don't want them to make him weak in order to make her look good. So I'm hoping that this is real Superman, that we'll see a good Superman on on screen. As far as the costume goes, it's not bad. It's not terrible. Um, You know, there's some nice textures. There's some things going on. It's the basic, you know, blue suit, no trunks, uh, but he's got red boots. Yay. And uh, (laughs) it's got kind of a texture like uh, Melissa's costume, but um, a different shade of blue. But... The big red S is in charge with the yellow uh, background behind it. Uh, people are complaining about the way the cape clips on to the side or onto the front just above the the S shield. Uh, I'm not crazy about it, but, you know, it doesn't, doesn't, you know, detract. It doesn't take away from, you know, that. Uh, I think my attitude now has gotten to the fact that, you know, we're not going to see Kurt Swan, Christopher Reeve, Superman costume anymore. It's just, it's gone. Bye-bye. Bye. So get your head into that and, and, and see what do you like about what they're doing and just try to maintain or minimize, I guess, is the, uh, uh, the, the better word. Minimize in your own brain that, okay, this isn't, you know, this isn't our Superman, but let's see what they're doing. Okay, let's give him a chance. So uh, he's got big ears. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he's he's a nice-looking young man, black hair. You know, he's got the chin. He's got the basic look of Superman. But I think the real, the real test will be, how does he come across on screen? How is he going to look on TV? I like my Superman to be the most impressive thing in the screen, on the screen. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but anyway, it's really good news that Supergirl, they're having three more episodes than they got on CBS. There have been some casting changes, but not only is Tyler Hecklin going to be the new Superman, but former 70s Wonder Woman, Linda Carter, will be playing the president of the United States. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be cool. I am, I'm looking forward to this. And again, though, you got to take in your mind now. 
particularly some of us that have been around, you know, for a long time. And we've seen many incarnations of Superman and his his cast. But I think now for the shows, just sit back and watch it because I think they are giving us some fun, fun stuff. It's as close to Silver Age uh, comic book fun than I've seen in years. And so I just want to thank DC TV for, you know, for doing some fun stuff and and taking some chances. One of the things that concerns me a little about the costume, I saw some more high-res pictures today online of the costume. The cape looks a little, I don't know, leathery or something. So it looks a little heavy. I don't know. But but anyway, anyway, we'll see how it looks on screen and how it moves and flows and, and see if he actually uh, embodies the character. Because I think if you're an actor, and I've heard this from every single actor that's ever uh, played the part, including Melissa Benoist. And I heard a podcast uh, just last night. I listened to a podcast. I forgot what it's called. And I'm sorry. Something to do with comic books. But he had, uh, the host had Makad Brooks on. And it was a nice interview with Makad Brooks, and who plays James Olsen. Uh, and he said the same thing about Melissa, that Every single actor that has put that costume on, it changes you. You feel it when you put that costume on. And whether it was the, you know, original George Reeves costume that uh, a copy was made for the Ben Affleck uh, Hollywood Land movie. But even Ben said when he put that costume on, it changes you. You act differently. And Henry Cavill, Christopher Reeve, every other actor actor that has put that suit on including nicholas cage says it change you act differently and the people around you act differently so we'll see if if the spirit of superman will come through that big red s on his chest and uh mr hecklin becomes superman and clark kent looking forward to it there are pictures online of both uh clark kent and superman as portrayed by Tyler Hecklin. So we'll see. Looking forward to it. Movie news, of course, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, long super duper cut has been released. I have my copy, have not broken the seal on it yet. Going to sit down when I get some time and just try to immerse myself into it and pretend like I've never seen it before and just let the three hours wash over me and see what happens. But anyway, that's that's kind of the stuff. I just wanted to, you know, briefly say here at the beginning that there is so much good stuff happening in comic books and DC. It's a good time to be a uh, a DC geek because uh, they're doing some fun stuff. And of course, we've heard that Jeff Johns is now pretty much CEO in charge of comic book entertainment world. <laughs> so uh, he's going to be you know, putting his stamp on it all the way up and down the whole thing, which I think if it's Jeff Johns that we have to thank for the new direction of the Superman comics and DC comics in general, this whole new attitude, the whole line really feels and looks like real DC comic books. It just feels good. And if it's Jeff Johns, we have to thank. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I do appreciate it. But now, Lois Lane, Superwoman from Krypton, which is not really the title of the story, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But like I said, have you ever done that before where you have a comic, you read it as a kid, and then all these years you keep seeing the cover periodically, and the cover flashes and brings you these memories of the comic? Well, 
for me, one of those comics was Superman number 159. It's a great Kurt Swan cover of, um, you see on the cover in the background, a building is about to fall. It's a Krypton building. We're on Krypton. And to the right, you see an elderly Jor-El standing next to a 30-ish year old Cal-El. And flying to save the people in that building is Lois Lane in her Mighty Maid costume. That cover is, it, it just has brought so many, many good memories back. So I thought as part of uh, my great summer, 60th summer, spectacular, super celebration, woo, that uh, I'm doing firsts and or favorites. And I always considered this when people say, what's your favorite Lois Lane story? This one always pops up. And but I hadn't read it since I was 10, 11, maybe. And we'll see half it. It's still one of my favorites after. Well, after this. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection. As long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost a hundred bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The quarter bin podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Atom Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? So partly because of the passing of Noel Neal a few weeks ago, and the fact that in the current uh, run of DC Comics in the Rebirth issue, there's several Lois Lanes running around. Well, two. <clears throat> one from uh, the New 52 universe and one from the Post-Crisis universe. Married. The post-crisis one is married, of course, to Clark. And one of those Loises will become uh, a superwoman very soon. And all of this stuff started making me think a little more about Lois Lane and some of my favorite Lois Lane stories. And whenever I really think of some of my favorite Lois Lane stories, my mind immediately flashes to the cover of 159, Superman Volume 1, number 159. Now, it's one of those things that 
that my mind always, when I think of, of like I said, think of the one of my favorite Lois Lane stories, or or when I hear people mentioning their favorite Lois Lane stories, I think of this one. But the interesting thing, or the funny thing, or the ironic thing, or the weird thing, is that I actually haven't read the story since I was a kid. Now, back then, I read it several times when I first got it, I'm sure, and then, you know, put it away with the rest of my comics. And then every time I look at the cover, I get a really good nostalgic feeling about it. So it's always interesting to me, particularly as time, as time passes. And this has probably happened to, to many of you. If you read comics as a kid and then haven't read them recently and you go back and read it, it may not be the comic that you remembered. Well... How does this one stack up? Now, a little backstory, very short, because I, I personally, I don't remember. I think I got this with some Christmas money. I think that's what happened, because uh, when you look up the dates of this comic, Superman number 159, uh, I think it's got a February 1963 cover date. It was released around December 20th of 1962. So I was 10, about to turn 11 in January of 63, and uh, so sometime between Christmas and uh, the next week or so is probably when I uh, picked this particular comic up and read it, as I said many times. And it features a story called The Supermaid of Krypton, not The Supermaid from Krypton, The Supermaid of Krypton, written by Edmund Hamilton, the great Edmund Hamilton, art by Kurt Swan. And George Klein did the inking. So we got pretty much my favorite uh, team from the 60s working on this book. A story written by Edmund Hamilton, drawn by Kurt Swan. It just really shouldn't get any better than this. This is great. And it features Lois Lane. So I mentioned the cover. I say the cover when I think of these things. um, The cover just flashes into my mind immediately. And the cover shows in the background uh, a building on Krypton, we're on Krypton, it looks like Krypton, so it's a building in the background, it looks like something has hit it midway and the building is toppling over, and in the midground is an elderly Jor-El standing beside, you know, a 30-something, a late 20s, early 30s uh, Kal-El, and then flying towards the falling building is Lois Lane in a not-quite-purple costume, if you picture Supergirl's costume from this era, the, the costume would be um, with a skirt, all the same color, the top and the skirt, the same color, kind of a purpley color with yellow cape and boots. And on her chest is the symbol of Earth as she flies towards this building. And on the cover uh, and the, the text on the cover, personally, it doesn't need text. <laughs> you know, or dialogues or anything. But Jor-El is basically saying to Kal-El, um, look, Kal-El, there goes Supermaid to save that building. And Clark is thinking, not Clark, but Kal-El is thinking to himself, wow, there she goes, etc., etc., to save that building. You know, if things had been changed, I could have been a super person. So even then, you know, we're... So basically, we're getting into what's called, for the time period, an imaginary three-part novel. 26-page story, and in the 60s, when they would do stuff like this, they would call it an imaginary story. But, you know, when you were a kid in the 60s, the regular canon is what it's called. The stuff that happened in the regular books is considered canon, and it really happened. But periodically, when they want to tell a story of what could be, 
what would have happened if, or they just want to use the characters but put them in a different situation. They'll call it an imaginary story. And this is one of those imaginary stories in three parts. In fact, we'll do the cover. I'll tell you exactly what it says on the cover. This is because this is funny. So it's 12 cent comic, 1963. Don't panic, people of Krypton. I can take care of this falling building with the superpowers my father gave me on Earth before he sent me to Krypton. Kal-El, my son, don't be jealous of Supermaid. If Krypton had exploded and I had sent you to Earth, you would have been a Superman there. <laughs> Featuring a great three-part imaginary novel, Lois Lane, the Supermaid from Earth. See what might have happened if Earth had exploded instead of Krypton, and Lois's father sent her to Krypton. Chapter 1, Lois Lane's Flight from Earth. Her story opens at the Lane farm as Mrs. Lane is asking her husband Sam, and they live in the Midwest, by the way, in a, on a farm, and she's asking him, why are we pretending to be farmers? Why aren't you letting the world know, Sam, that you're a brilliant scientist? And Sam says he needs the secrecy, which is why he came to the farm, because he's going to try to save Earth from the catastrophe that is about to overwhelm it and destroy it. He's turned his barn into a scientific laboratory, hiding things in the silo and in the barn and in other places, advanced scientific equipment. And he says he doesn't want to panic the public, so he is hidden on this farm. In his hidden laboratory, he unfortunately discovers that there is no way to end the peril. All the spectroscopic data points to one thing. The sun is going to explode into a nova or a new star. That means Earth and all of the planets around our star are doomed unless we can figure out a way to get them to another solar system. In the weeks that follow, it's a race against time. And Sam thinks to himself, no one would believe me. And I've developed this ray that could hurl humans into deep space, into the space capsule, like this little model, to a distant planet Krypton, where people would be safe. My ray would also give them superpowers on the way, so they would be immune to the greater gravity there. But time runs out before Lane's great plan can be used. Time has run out. The sun will explode, or nova, or supernova, within the hour, and I have no time to build a larger ship. I only have the one model. But with that tiny little model, I can at least save Lois. So launched by the powerful cosmic ray, Lois is sent off the planet as the sun explodes and engulfs it and destroys Earth. As the rocket leaves the planet, Sam and his wife talk, and they're worried and but glad that they are sending their daughter to safety and sam reiterates that at least she will be safe there on the planet krypton because i've given her the powers so once again a father sends his or mother and mother send their child off to another planet not to rule it not to save it not to be its savior not to be its jesus but so that that child will survive so as the sun explodes, Lois's rocket heads off into deep space. And we see Lois in the little capsule as she looks out at the stars. Ooh, pretty lights. And it doesn't take long. She's on Krypton. She gets to Krypton pretty quickly as um, 
Sam says it won't take long, so it's quickly, and she gets there on Krypton, and uh, her capsule is found by some local zoologists, zookeeper-type people. This nice couple is head of the Kryptonianville Zoo. His name is Kyle Kahn, K-H-A-L-K-A-N, and his, li- and his wife, Marl. They find the little girl. Processes happen. They do some other things. They decide what they're going to do with the child. And what they actually decide to do is go through the process and have her legally adopted, which they do, and they name her Kandi Khan, K-H-A-N-D-I-K-A-N. Now, her new parents trap wild exotic animals on these exotic expeditions, and they try to help and save the animals. They're good people, and and they have this machine, this little machine that hypnotizes the animal into um, a docile state so they're easier to capture. Oh, this will make great addition to the zoo. Oh, and I forgot to mention that in the capsule with Lois, Sam had put a little message that he had drawn. So he was telling her history and the story of Earth through pictures. And um, that's when Marl decided when, she, when they first found her in the capsule, oh, she's adorable. She's a darling. We, we should adopt her. We should keep her. And uh, then Sam, not Sam, but Kal, 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 K-H-A-L, Kal Ken tells her the story that he sees on the paper that this young girl comes from the planet earth the the picture message even says you know talking about the history um uh cal says to his wife apparently this looks like they have given her superpowers somehow but of course that's impossible that's crazy talk well pretty quickly at their jungle campsite they find out that little Lois indeed does have superpowers as she puts her arm in the mouth of a turquoise. Well, yeah, turquoise. Uh, we'll go with turquoise. <laughs> and uh, Marl Khan says, oh, no, look out. That turquoise's going to bite her arm off. But, of course, crunch, it doesn't. Pretty soon right after that, Lois takes off in the sky as she sees uh, a flame bird, a famous Kryptonian bird flying. She says, ooh, pretty bird. And then uh, she says, me catch, because she picked up on the fact that uh, uh, the cans were uh, collecting animals. So she goes out to the jungle and starts bringing these wild animals back to her with incredible super strength. So obviously now the this couple realizes that what Sam had written on the paper is absolutely true. This young little baby uh, uh, is uh, from Earth. And her father has given her these amazing superpowers. So, like I said, they decide to adopt her and go through the legal processes on Krypton for doing that. And they do adopt her. And then we go through a page and a half or so of the terrible 60s baby talk of everything is me this and me that. And it just so happens that uh, the Khans live pretty close to the L's. And as she runs to meet her new neighbors one of them of little baby kal-el little toddler kal-el how about that they become friends and and uh, more baby talk as kal-el says you be my friend me go tell me daddy me go tell daddy that me have new friend it's like bizarro and babies of the 60s had basically the same level of english 
Oh, and once the uh, adoption stuff goes through and she becomes their legal daughter, they name her Candy. I'm pronouncing it Candy. It's spelled K-H-A-N-D-I. So, Candy Can. K-A-N, last name. Could be Candy Khan. Could be Candy Kane. Could be Candy Kane. No, I don't think we're going there. I'm going with Candy Khan. Or, no, Candy Can. Candy Can. Or Candy Can. No. K-H-A-N-D-I. Hmm. Candy can? Candy. Candy, I think, sounds a little more than Condi. No, let's go with Condi. Condi can. So she's given the name Condi can by her new adoptive parents. And then she goes and meets the neighbors. And as uh, as she tells Kal-El, You're, we're friends now. And they're little kids. And uh, little Kal-El says, Me go tell daddy you my new friend. And he runs in, and uh, Jor-El is in his laboratory studying something on the monitor. It looks like a supernova engulfing planets. Hmm, wonder what he's looking at. And I almost forgot. She met, meets Lim Landor, too, uh, at the same time she meets little kal So these are her two friends. Uh, the Cans live at the end of the street right in front of the zoo, which they control. Uh, right across the street or down the street is the L family, a great scientist, and the little playmate, Lynn Landu, whose parents that I forgot what they do. Now, the rest of the story will take place with these three. These three people are, are super tight, so to speak. Condi, Cal, and Lim. So what exactly is Jor-El looking at on his monitor screen? Well, we hear from Lara as, as little Kal-El comes in to say, Daddy, me have new friend, new girl at the can house. And Lara says, not now, Cal, your father is busy. And uh, she picks up little Cal and they look at the monitor with him. And Laura tells us exactly what Jor-El is looking at. I can't stand to watch the video you took of the destruction of planet Earth. That's just so terrible. It hurts to watch. Just think, if that had been Krypton, Jor-El says, Krypton is not in danger anymore since I stopped the chain reaction that was about to cause its destruction. So Krypton is safe. But there is hmm, a puzzling thing about these recordings, something I don't quite understand. Well, so time passes, and across the street, we now see the young teenage Candy, doing super feats inside the house. As mom says, please don't do that, Candy. Not around where people might see you. Put that down now. And you've neglected to put on your fake glasses. Lois says, I'm sorry, but what happens if someday an emergency comes up and, and requires me to use my superpowers to help people? How can I avoid revealing who I am? Well, Papa Can says, you know, your mom and I have been really thinking about that. And we've kind of come up with an idea. Your mom has an idea. And she, of course, made a costume for her daughter made from the material that came with you in the capsule. And because the ray that gave you powers also made everything else in the capsule indestructible, we can use all these little pieces and parts and cloth to make you this new costume. So whenever you feel the need to do something super, put this costume on. And don't forget, take off your glasses, which make you look shy and weak. Yeah, that's what it says. 
and put on the costume and then you can do your your superhero stuff on that is the symbol of your home planet earth and you will be known as supermaid well it didn't take long for uh the need to arise when all of a sudden one of the animals gets out a couple of the animals get out and attack and are about to attack kal-el and his friend lin nandor when all of a sudden whoosh here she comes. Supermaid comes in and takes care of the problem. And, um, of course, they're amazed. Who is this? What is this person? Who is who? Lynn Landor gets very curious. Wow. Who is she? I must find out who she is. Uh, and a little editor's note, it's kind of like Lynn Landor's uh, curiosity has been raised, similar to that of Lana Lang in Superboy's past. And it's really, they're making that because they are making these people right now appear to be teenagers. So anyway, uh, uh, Lois, Supermaid, saves the day. And then she notices that Lynn Landor is curious and is trying to trick her. And she tells herself, I need to be careful in the future when I change back to Candy Can. I need to be very careful about this. So... We're seeing Lois now, as Candy can, uh, deal with some of the same problems that Superboy had to deal with in Smallville as a kid. And um, Cal says, come on, let's go, guys. Back to the, uh, we, we can go back to um, my father's lab. He's testing a rocket today, the first test rocket, uh, as uh, Krypton you know, begins its uh, little foray into space. So Jor-El has made a test rocket, which he plans to shoot as Supermaid flies off. And she says she'll have to be careful when she changes back to Candy Can. And as they go to Jor-El's uh, uh, lab, uh, Lim and Cal, and Cal says, come on, Crypto. And Crypto's with him, and they go back to the lab. And as they go into the lab and they see the rocket and Jor-El's, you know, working at the station and everything else, and we, we see Crypto sneak onto the rocket because the little rocket hatch door is open, and Crypto just walks right on up there and gets into the rocket, and the rocket is launched, and uh-oh, everybody's upset when they realize Crypto's in the rocket, and uh, it won't be coming back, and it'll be orbiting, and he'll just be up there, and he'll die up there. Well, no, he won't die up there, because... That's right, Supermaid. But before she goes, as Candy can, she consoles Cal, don't worry, Cal. It'll be okay. I'm sure something will happen to take care. It'll be okay. So, of course, she then changes to Supermaid, flies up, flies into space, and saves Crypto, brings him back to a joyous reunion with the L family. It's a terrific scene. As Supermaid brings, as I said, she brought Crypto back to the family, and as she flies away, Lara says, I wonder who she is. What a sweet girl. And Jor-El says, I have no idea as to the clue as to her identity, but I do believe I know where she came from. Soon as the first rockets leave Krypton, Lim, Lor, Lim Landor thinks, my dream has come true. I'm going to be a spaceman. I've been accepted to the space college. Wonderful, Lim, says Supermaid. And Cal thinks, to himself, Supermaid has always been more interested in Lim than in me. He's adventurous, glamorous. I guess she'll always feel that way about him. But as the years pass, 
Supermaid still fondly remembers her Earth parents. So she flies into space and, using her heat vision, uh, carves their face in the side of asteroids, and it'll always be there for her to remember. So this will be as a memorial to both my parents and to the people who perished on Earth. No one will ever figure out my origin. But soon, when she receives a call from Jor-El, I saw your sky riding asking me to come. What is it, Jor-El? Spaceships have brought in some fragments found in space. Fragments of your native planet Earth. I thought you might want to see them. How did you know I came from Earth? Well, Jor-El tells her that he had made a uh, telescopic study of Earth before, during, and after its explosion. And my records show a capsule fired toward Krypton with a powerful ray shortly before Earth was lost. And the symbol you wear is a map of Earth. But when Supermaid approaches the fragments of her long-dead Earth, oh, I feel sick. Yes, she gets sick and weak. What has happened to her, says Laura? I've never seen her show weakness before. There must be something in those fragments. I'll get her outside. Outside, she revives and then says, I just can't understand it. I've never felt like that before. Those glowing fragments formed by the explosion of Earth must be responsible. The rays don't affect Kal-El and me, but must be really dangerous to anyone born on Earth. I'll see if I can find some way to protect you from this stuff. Oh, about a week later, Jor-El says, here. And he finds out that uh, silver on Krypton will keep Earthite from affecting Supermaid. So Jor-El tells her to always be safe and never go without silver protection where possible. And Supermaid thanks him and moves off. But tragedy awaits Supermaid at home. Her parents dead from Virus X. They caught it at the distant jungle where they were seeking animals all alone. Now she is all alone. Lois is so full of grief. She says, I'll never be Supermaid again. Every time I use my powers it'll make me think of them and just break my heart dad once said i was good at nursing the animals here i'll go to kryptonopolis hospital and study to be a nurse what should i do with this costume mom made for me Hmm. but during the packing to get ready to go she finds a videotape it's from her parents and basically it says dear candy if anything ever happens to us on one of our dangerous trips we want you to know how much we've loved you We're sure you will always use your mighty powers for the good of Krypton, your adoptive world. They wanted me to keep on being Supermaid, and I will. I'll do everything I can to help Krypton, the world where I found love and refuge as a baby. So she flies off to Kryptonopolis, and she says goodbye to Lim Landor, who's going to Spaceman College, and Kal-El, who we haven't known yet what what he's going to do. So Lois Lane leaves Kryptonville for Kryptonopolis, just as young Kal-El left Smallville for Metropolis after his parents had died. End of part one.
Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier? To explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast, as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And, unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. The Supermaid from Krypton, Part 2. The Female Luther of Krypton. We skip ahead to the great Metropolitan Hospital in Kryptonopolis, where the famed head of said hospital, Professor Rorak, deals with an emergency with his usual loss of temper. Orderly, where's Kal-El? And get Candy Can in here also. Orderly, where's Dr. Kal-El? Get him and get Nurse Candy Can in here emergency. We have an important operation schedule and no one is here. Relax, Prof. I'll call the doctor and nurse right away. And, of course, the doctor, Professor Rorak, looks like Perry White, and the orderly is, you guessed it, Mr. Jimmy Olsen. And don't call me Prof. So, you see, we're setting the stage here, folks, because, yes, dear listeners, in this imaginary world, the professor and the orderly look amazingly like Perry White and Jimmy Olsen. Through the communicators goes a swift call. Calling Dr. Cal-El, calling Nurse Candy-Can. Calling Dr. Cal-El, calling Nurse Candy-Can. Both wanted in Ray Treatment Room. Report immediately. In Candy-Can's nurse's room, the call is only heard by an electronic device, which relays the signal and message to Supermaid, who is out on patrol. Okay, I have to stop with this to tell you how the signal gets from the recording device to Supermaid flying around on patrol or doing her thing. That She's, she's not Candy Can right now. She's out at Supermaid. The device picks up the signal. Candy Can report to Ray, whatever, the Ray room. It captures the signal and sends out a tiny little rocket ship and gets to Candy, flies up beside her, and repeats the message. <laughs> okay? Okay, good. And she's flying through the crystal 
mountains and she has to get back to the uh, to the jeweled mountains so she has to get back quickly so she only has seconds to get back and change into candy can and meet with the rest of them took you long enough nurse ken now where's cal l where's dr l it took you long enough nurse ken and where's that dr l great krypton's son if he doesn't get here soon but i'm already here i'm already here professor that's right candy's young playmate Kal-El is now a famous noted doctor and surgeon. And as she enters, the, the orderly says, uh, Have you heard of, Ka- of Supermaid's latest feat? She's uh, building a tunnel through the jeweled mountains. Quiet. Here comes Dr. Luthoria with a patient. She's going to demonstrate a new surgical technique. That's right. Dr. Lou Thoria. L U dash. T-H-O-R-I-A, Lou Thoria. She's a brilliant scientist who's about to uh, show off her newest accomplishment. So her patient is a guy who had lost his hand in a chemical experiment, and she points the ray on it and grows back his hand. Wonderful, Dr. Lou Thoria, if it only works. Well, of course it does, because in the next moment, they watch it. Oh my, it's growing a new hand right before my eyes. Only a few minutes more of exposure to the ray should do it. So everybody's congratulating Dr. Luthoria. You'll win the Krypton Medical Prize for this. This is great, great stuff. So as she's being praised for her you know, newest accomplishment, she overhears Kal-El talking to Candy Can, and Cal says, gee, Candy, I wonder where Supermaid's next super feat will be. I hope I don't miss it. And of course, Luthoria hears this and thinks, no matter how much I try, how successful I am, Kal-El doesn't even know I exist. Well, so here we go. The female Luther is in love with Kal-El, who is in love with Supermaid and doesn't know it's Candy Can. So there's our triangle. And Luthoria hearing that also thinks to herself, like I said, everything he that she tries, Kal-El has no interest in her. He only wants that supermate. I hate her. And then we see a quick flashback of Luthoria thinking, I hate her. I tried to kill her one time by hiding in the jungle and exposing her to powerful heat ray. But it had no effect and just bounced off of her and beamed right back at me. If that beam had hit me full it would have disintegrated, just killed me. Luckily, it only hit me partially. I hate her. Just then, an orderly rushes in and basically says, Professor, terrible news. An unknown spacecraft has attacking Krypton. The ship is attacking with strange, unknown weapons. The vigilante space corps of Krypton was sent to intercept and ran into trouble. Candy thinks to herself that, oh no, Lim Landor is one of the captains, is on those ships. I'd better switch to Supermaid right away. Supermaid thinks to herself that, uh, of course, the space vigilantes and space flight is quite new to Krypton and Kryptonians. I'd better change and fly up and help them and help them they was accurate because they just this just wasn't any old invader. They were up against Brainiac. Woo! And of course he has his shrinking ray and he's starting to shrink stuff. 
Then we see him shrink. Look, he shrunk that building to tiny size. Commander Lim Landor. This is Commander Lim Landor. Attack! Attack the space guy! The plans of Brainiac, of course, are evil and mighty. I'll shrink that entire city of Candor to tiny size and put it in a bottle. Their ships can't stop me. So Brainiac knocks one of the ships out of the sky, and Supermaid changes, catches it, brings it down safely. As Brainiac turns his attention to Candor, I'm going to shrink this bottle, this little city, and put it in a bottle, and nothing these puny people can do about it. Well, Supermaid goes after catching the ship, flies up to Brainiac's ship, forces it to land, rips the side of his ship open, pulls him out, and Brainiac is then taken to trial and sentenced to the Phantom Zone. Later, at a sad moment in the hospital, Dr. Kal-El and Supermaid visit their longtime childhood friend, Lin Landor, commander of the Space Vigilantes, and he says to them, Supermaid, you were able to stop Brainiac's ship when we couldn't. And we find out that Lim Landor, one of Brainiac's weapons and rays, had hit Lim Landor, and he is now dying and needs um, some sort of radiation stronger than anything uh, that they know of. Supermaid picks up Lim and says to Kal-El, I can provide the radioactivity that he needs. Quick, get into your protective suit. Well, she picks them both up and flies them to a radioactive volcano. So Cal tells Supermaid to land on the ledge, and he's gonna because he needs to monitor the exact amount of radiation uh, that he gets. So you see a really nice scene here of Cal L in his doctor suit, spaceship, spacesuit, and Lin Landor laying on the edge with Supermaid kneeling beside, and the radiation from the volcano just pouring onto them. So Cal L says, finally, the instruments show that the radiation has revitalized his cell. He'll live, but we must get him out of here now. I'll get you back. Supermaid gets them back to the hospital in a flash. And literally in just a few seconds back, Lim says, I, I feel better now. I'm glad, says Supermaid, but thinks I've got to hurry and switch back to Candy Can before I'm missed. Lim says to Cal as he looks, as both look somewhat forlorn, you're still in love with Supermaid, aren't you, Cal? And Cal says, yes, but I'm just a mere doctor. Not an exciting space band captain like you. I really have no chance with her. I've often dreamed how different things might have been had Krypton had perished instead of Earth, and had I been shot to Earth instead of her coming to Krypton, I would have had superpowers on Earth. And then we see scenes of him dreaming about him being Superman of Krypton. And we see Lois as a normal human, and he thinks to himself, Wow, she might have loved me like I love Supermaid. But he thinks, Why should I daydream about me having superpowers and her being in love with me? Such things will never happen. I'm sorry, Cal, says his friend Lamb. Lim says, By the way, Can uh, Cal, I hear our old-time playmate friend, Candy Can, is also a nurse here in the hospital. Could I see her? I'll send her in, says Cal. Then, he thinks, I'm going to study my father's records. There is a way I, too, might gain superpowers. That's what Kal-El is thinking. Later, as Candy visits Lim, Lim immediately gets into the, You know, I noticed that while Supermaid's around, you're not. Oh, Lim, aren't you ever going to get over that foolish idea? Meanwhile, 
Kal-El tensely studies the scientific records of his father Jor-El. These video records my father made of Earth's destruction. They show the power ray that hurled baby Supermaid to Krypton. Hmm, that power ray gave her superpowers. Maybe if I duplicate it, it could make me super too. Finally, after studying his father's records of Supermaid, he thinks, there's one great risk. The power ray designed for Earthlings could be fatal to a Kryptonian. It might give me temporary superpowers, but it might kill me. But as he's thinking these things, Luthoria sticks her head in and says, Kal-El, I want you to come with me. Well, Cal says, uh, where do you want me to go? And she says, I want to take you to... And she takes him to Brainiac's ship. Uh, and they go inside, and, he's, and she says, look, all these robots are repairing Brainiac's ship at my command. I've learned how to psychically control them, and I now have control of Brainiac's great arsenal. She tells him that for a long time she's been hiding her ambition, but now she has the power she needs to accomplish her goals, and now she will be the ruler of all Krypton. And you, Kal-El, shall rule at my side. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. That's wrong. Supermaid will prevent you from doing it. It's wrong. Well, she says, not anymore. I have studied all of your father's video records. I've discovered Earthite is fatal to Supermaid. You should have destroyed that information, Cal. She's mad. Evil. And it was my carelessness that has let her find out Supermaid's one weakness. I've got to somehow stop her, thinks Kal-El. So he spots the super loudspeaker control. Kal-El says, Supermaid, danger at Brainiac's ship. Of course, Luthoria is not particularly pleased with this, you know, turnaround here that Kal-El. So alerted by the warning, Candy Can immediately becomes Supermaid, flies to the ship and says, what's going on here? Why, it's Luthoria and she's bald. She's been wearing a wig. <laughs> yeah. That's right. The heat ray I tried to kill you with bounced back and burned my hair off. It's damaged the follicles. I will always be bald. I'll even this score with you, Supermaid. But for right now, these machines I've ordered to run amok will keep you busy. So, so you know, Supermaid says, don't do that because of the people, the people, the people. So we get to see Supermaid fight some robots. Almost as cool as Superman fighting robots. As she makes her escape, she turns a stun ray onto Cal and stuns him and says, you won't follow me. And she makes her, mis- her escape as Supermaid rounds up all the, ro- the robots. Cal thinks to himself that, that he feels so bad because it's his fault that Luthoria found out about Supermaid's secret, or her weakness, rather. And he kind of hatches a plan. And he says, I've got to try it even if later it kills me. End of part two. After the theatrical cartoons, after the movie serials, a new medium helped define an icon for generations to come. The Adventures of Superman. Join Mike Zumo as the Man of Screen podcast enters the next phase with a year-long look at the 1950s television series The Adventures of Superman, starring... George Reeves as Clark Kent and Superman. No comment until the time limit is up. Phyllis Coates as Lois Lane during season one. What are you afraid of? What are you hiding? And Noel Neal as Lois Lane starting in season two. Superman. What? Why did you wait? 
Jack Larson as Jimmy Olsen. Mr. Kent is Superman. John Hamilton as Perry White. Don't call me Chief! And Robert Shane as Inspector Henderson. I don't want excuses, I want action! So, follow along Mike and some possible guest hosts for an in-depth analysis of The Adventures of Superman, starting in June at supermanpodcastnetwork.com and manofscreen.podomatic.com. This is a job for Superman. I mean, I've got to find it. The struggle between Supermaid and Luthoria, the renegade female scientist approaches its fateful climax, but neither of the two antagonists can foresee the incredible results of that conflict will be the end of the great career and the cause of the doom of Supermaid of Krypton. As Supergirl streaks past the colorful Rainbow Canyon in search of the evil scientist Luthoria, young Dr. Kal-El works feverishly in the laboratory of his father. And guess what? He's done it. Kal-El has duplicated the ray that sent Supergirl to Krypton and gave her her superpowers. But because of the heavier gravity on Krypton and the Red Sun, it will only give me limited powers for a limited amount of time. Jor-El has been watching the progress of his son and confronts him. Kal-El tells Jor-El, though, that Luthoria is going to use Earthite to kill or destroy Supermaid. This ray will give me superpowers so I can prevent that. But of course, Jor-El is concerned and he knows the risk because he tells him that under our red sun and with gravity, this ray could kill you. It was meant for a human, not a Kryptonian. So Kal-El says, well, it's, it's Supermaid's life I'm worried about here. So I'll go and test my ray in an un, un uh, you know in a in a secluded place away from all the people so no one else could be hurt. So Jor El thinks, well, he won't listen to me. Well, maybe uh, Professor Rorak, remember the guy that looks like Perry White, head of the hospital here, Rorak. So Jor El goes to see Rorak and tries to get him to convince Kal El not to do the the ray. Great Krypton's son says Rorak. <laughs> Says, and he tells Jor-El that he's tried to uh, dissuade Kal-El from doing his crazy schemes and his plots. Great Krypton's son, I've tried to dissuade Kal-El from his schemes, but he's really worried about what Luthoria might do to Supermaid. Now that she has access to Brainiac's secrets, she could be a menace to all Krypton. What makes her so evil? Jor-El says he doesn't know, because her brilliance has given Krypton many wonderful inventions. All of a sudden, she became obsessed with this ruthless ambition and hatred of Supermaid. Hmm. Jor-El says he'd like to see the records of Luthoria's past work. Maybe something there will give him a clue to help defeat her. So, uh, now we flash back to Kal-El in a deserted isolated makeshift laboratory sets up his ray to test it. So he thinks to himself, this ray uh, should not be powerful enough to do any damage, but to just slightly test and give me slight superpowers. I'll keep it at a low force to see what happens. Here goes. Oh, the shock is terrible, as if it were bending the atoms right out of my body. Oh, when the impact passes, I have limited superpowers only. 
because I couldn't take the full strength of the ray. Now I must act swiftly before my new powers fade away. Wow, I can lift this thing, I can fly, but slowly. Now, to find Luthoria, because Supermate doesn't know what I know. Now to find Luthoria, Supermaid doesn't know what I know, that Luthoria is hunting for Earthite. Meanwhile, in the great hospital, Jor-El and Rorak talk again. And Rorak asks Jor-El, have you found something in Luthoria's records that will help? Yes, I found a mystery, but it won't help me find my son. And if Kal-El follows his rash plan, he may meet disaster. Now, what the two of those guys don't know is that Candy Can, Supermaid, in her nurse disguise, is standing right outside and hears them with her super hearing. So, of course, Candy Can says to herself she needs to look out. Oh, no, look out. Oh, no, no, there's no look out. Oh, no, Kal-El will do something rash. I need to switch back to Supermaid and find him before he gets into trouble. But Kal-El has already found a lead, even with his limited powers. Luthoria will need a spaceship to get into space and to gather more Earthite. Hmm, the spaceship factory. It's strangely silent. Deserted. So, of course, Kal-El finds Luthoria there, and she says, So you found me, big deal. I've equipped uh, these spaceships with all the technology from Brainiac that I had discovered, and now I'm going to just go up and take over the uh, the world. I will take over Krypton, because Brainiac failed. I will succeed. Luthoria, you can't do this. This is crazy. Don't do this, says Kal-El. <laughs> So Kal-El thinks to himself that he can't let Luthoria know that he has uh, limited superpowers until he figures out a way uh, to stop her and get into that ship. So Kal-El, of course, being the nice guy he is, tries to play on her good side and say, Luthoria, you really, you can't do this. You've given so much to Krypton with your great inventions already. Don't do this. And, and it's typical Kal-El appealing to the good side of her. Well, Luthoria, though says. Well, Luthoria, uh, being somewhat jealous of Supermaid, just dismisses all of that and says, no, the people didn't care about all those things that I did. All they care about is that ridiculous Supermaid. That's why I hate her and I will destroy her. Kal-El says, well, Lou, you know, I always admired you too. But ah, Luthoria says, no, you couldn't really admire me. And Kal-El says, no, you're beautiful, you're intelligent, you're just a wonderful scientist and doctor, you have so much to offer. And she says, I'm beautiful, am I? Do you admire my bald head, do you? Ha! I saw the look of disgust on your face when my wig fell off before. You can't lie to me, Kal-El, and you can't stop me from destroying Supermaid. She made me bald. And then she tells Kal-El, yes, by a twist of fate, when I was trying to kill Supermaid, the ray bounced back and hit me and made me bald. In a twist of fate, Luthoria blames Supermaid for her baldness, just like Luther on Earth blames Superman for his baldness. 
So Kal-El says, well, I can't let her take off. I can't do that. So I'll just rip this ship, the door off the ship, just like Supermaid did to Brainiac's ship. Uh-oh. Oh, not strong enough anymore to rip the metal. Oh, no. I mustn't let her take off with this piece to find more Earthite. I have got to stop her, says Kal-El. As the swift ship roars skyward, say that five times, my limited superpowers have faded away. Oh, no, the acceleration has torn loose my hold. I'm doomed. Ah! But suddenly, of course, Kal-El is rescued in midair by Supermaid, the same way Superman used, uh, used to save Lois. Moments later, when they're on the ground, you could have been killed if I hadn't been in time. But Luthoria got away. And uh, um, Supermaid asks Kal-El, won't you give me the clue that you have that, that helps you find her? And Kal-El, of course, thinks to himself, well, I can't let Supermaid um, find her, go after Luthoria, because, of course, she'll use the Earthite against her. And I can't let her do that, so I'll have to pretend uh, like I'm still super. So Kal-El says... I'll hand her Luthoria myself. So Kal-El thinks he can't let Supermaid follow Luthoria and find her because of the Earthite problem. So he thinks to himself, No, uh, Supermaid, I'll take care of this myself with my superpowers. I don't need a girl, even one with superpowers, helping me. I can take care of this all by myself. Oh, really, Cal? Nice job there. Hmm. So, uh, Supermaid flies off saying, You're jealous of me like all males, and want to capture Luthoria yourself. Well, I'll find her somehow. Whoosh! And Supermaid flies off. So, Kal-El says that he must find her first. But with his limited superpowers faded away, there's really only one option he has left. Lynn Landor, fully recovered from his injuries... Uh, and is about to uh, report for duty again at the Space Patrol, Kal-El explains to, to his buddy Lim that he's got to find, uh, he's got to catch up to uh, Luthoria before she finds the Earthite to destroy Supermaid. That fast scout ship should do it, should be able to catch up to her. And of course, Lynn Landau says, well, if it's for Supermaid's sake, you betcha, let's go. Although I just did that like Jimmy Olsen, and it's really, he's more of the Pete Ross analog, or what would that be, Avatar, or Switchy Swatchy. Supermaid, unable to find Luthoria anywhere on the planet Krypton, learns the truth from consulting Jor-El. So Jor-El, of course, tells her the story that Kal-El wanted to protect you from Earthite, and um, has now gone off to do that. And he's trying to catch up to Luthoria because she's going to that meteor storm where there are many meteors of Earthite, which can be destroyed, which can destroy you, but not the people of Krypton, of course. Obviously, Luthoria would go there, and Kal-El, of course, would follow her. Supermaid thinks, I'll have to get out there right away, but Kal-El will have to get over his masculine jealousy and work with me. Jorel tells her to hold on there a second, girl. <laughs> if Luthoria is planning to trap you, I have a plan and how we can keep you safe. And then we cut to where uh, Lin Lendor has landed his ship on one of the meteors that has the Earthite fragments, where he confronts you know who, 
Hi, Luthoria. And he says, you were right. The Earthite fragments here attracted Luthoria. There's her ship. So, of course, Kal-El says, uh, tells Lynn to stay in the ship that uh, uh, because if I fail to, over, if I fail to uh, uh, overcome or stop Luthoria, you'll have to warn Supermaid. So, well, Luthoria tells Cal that it's too late. Uh, I see you followed me again, but it's, it's too late. I found enough Earthite to, to fully load my Earthite machine gun, ray gun, which will kill Supermaid. You'll have to kill me first, Dor- Luthoria, says Kal-El. Suddenly, though, above them comes streaking down. Of course, Supermaid comes flying down. Luthoria says, ha, you've unwittingly helped me, Kal-El. You have brought her directly to me. This is terrific. And Luthoria fires her weapon at, at, at Supermaid. The missile strikes Supermaid, and Supermaid suddenly plunges headlong. Oh, no. As I feared, the Earthite missile has paralyzed Supermaid. At last, says Luthoria. But suddenly, the Maid of Steel, in a stunning reversal, the fall was a trick. The Earthite did nothing to hurt me. Thanks to Jor-El, says Supermaid. Before I came here, Jor-El figured out that uh, the one thing that can stop Earthite is silver, which, of course, they have a ton of it on Krypton. It's one of their most common little doojiggy metals there. And uh, he sprays her completely with uh, a a coating of silver, which prevents the Earthite from hurting her. It's just a fine dust coating of silver. She'll be tried and sentenced for the Phantom Zone for this, says Supermaid as she flies off. Uh, actually, take that back. She'll be tried and sentenced to the Phantom Zone for this, is what Kal-El says. Supermaid says, no. After you and Lynn have cleared away the dangerous Earthite, come to Kryptonopolis Hospital, says Supermaid. And, of course, that's what happens. And later in the hospital, Luthoria is under anesthesia. But I deduced from her record, says Jorel, that her sudden change to the side of darkness, her evilness, is not her fault. She was a noble scientist until one of her experimental rays had a totally unexpected effect on her, changing her entire nature. Oh, no, it exploded, and it's hitting me with an unknown radiation says Luthoria. As can happen with a pressure on the brain, that ray turned her from a noble scientist to an evil, jealous person. So Jarrell says he thinks that this projector can change her normal again. And Kal-El says, and Dr. Rorak and I just perfected a hair growing process. We'll use that on her too. So of course they do. They, they use both rays. The Turn me back to good person and grow my hair back, Ray. Uh, when she wakes up, when Luthoria wakes up, guess what? She's she's such a good person now. What made me do such awful things? Killing her such wonderful super maid is such a bad dream. Oh, look, I got my hair back. Cool. Luthoria, you're normal again. We can be friends, says super maid. Yay. Well, days later, as Supermaid flies Kal-El to Krypton's Scarlet Jungle to acquire some rare medical herbs. So while in the uh, uh, Scarlet Jungle, what is that meteor over there? It, it can't be Earthite because it shines purple instead of orange. 
I wonder what it is. Is it possible there could be a purple form of Earthite having passed through a purple gas cloud in space and having different effects? Supermaid says, strange, I I feel a queer tingling. Let's leave. But as she goes to pick up Kal-El to fly away, oh, I, I can't lift you. You're very heavy. I don't have any superpowers. So could there be a form of Earthite called Purple Earthite, which is similar to Red Kryptonite? Yes, except one big difference. The strange effects it'll have on an Earth person are permanent. Oh no! So, then Supermaid says, I feel a strange tingling. We'd better leave. But as Supermaid tries to carry Kal-El back to Kryptonopolis, I I can't lift you or fly. And my x-ray vision won't go on when I want it to. Great, Krypton, somehow you've lost your superpowers. Then, incredibly, why, you can fly. That purple Earthite. Its weird effect was to transfer all my superpowers to you and leave me ordinary. It's true, says Kal-El. I can fly and I have x-ray vision. I'm a real Superman now. I'll carry you back to Kryptonopolis. And later, Kal-El, come back here. Just because I'm now an ordinary girl and don't have to wear a costume and you're a Superman, you can't give me the cold shoulder. It isn't fair. Now, now, Candy. You must get over your petty feminine jealousy of me. Bye. And so, ironically, our imaginary novel ends with Lois Lane, an ordinary girl, and Kal-El as Superman, just as is the case on Earth. The end. Fellows and girls, don't ever be a coat holder. A guy who always stands ready to hold someone's coat in a fight, but will never stand up and fight for himself. He's the guy who says, don't let that so-and-so call us names. Go ahead, biff him one for me, too. That's right, the coat holder always says, I won't stand for this, and then usually follows up with, let you and him fight it out. I'll hold the coats. Brave, isn't he? (laughs) I'll say he is not. Yet that's true in cases where the fight is really important, where it's everybody's fight, where every one of us should be in there swinging, such as the fight against prejudice. Now, I don't say that you should actually go around slugging everyone who says something nasty about you or other people, because there are other, more effective ways to fight anything so mean and low as racial and religious prejudice. How? It's simple. If you just treat your classmates and neighbors, all of them, like regular Joes, no matter what their race or religion, you deal a body blow to the enemy. And if you cold shoulder the guy who uses ugly words that smear another fellow's race or religion, you lash out with an uppercut that sends prejudice reeling. You see, this is everyone's fight. Because when neighbor is made to feel intolerant of neighbor, our country's strength is weakened and all of us suffer. So if you love your country, be on the alert. And when you see or hear things that you consider intolerant, don't let them pass by. Keep driving against such things until prejudice in America goes down for the count. And now, the adventures of Superman. 
So there you have it, Superman number 159, Supermade of Krypton, featuring a three-part imaginary novel of Lois Lane, if she had become the Supermaid of Krypton. What'd you think? Overall, I still like the story, but I really did not like the ending. I was totally surprised, totally forgot the ending. When I saw it coming, as I'm reading the last page, and you can could, you could see it coming, I kind of groaned and went, oh, no, that's too bad. Because I think it should have ended with, with her still continuing on as uh, the Supermaid from, or from Earth for Krypton, of Krypton. But all in all, terrific uh, Edmund Hamilton story. And, of course, the artwork. A-plus artwork throughout. We got to see uh, some great Kurt Swan art, his take on things like the Scarlet Jungle and the Crystal Mountains and and uh, Rainbow Canyon, other Kryptonian landmarks. Uh, and just, just some really, really good scenes. And we only saw Superman in actual Superman costume, in a uh, thought memory, wish memory type thing. It wasn't actually a memory. It was a wish, uh, a, a daydream, I guess, might be adequate. As Kal-El it daydreams what had happened had Krypton exploded and he had been sent to Earth, which I think is an interesting thing for him to even be thinking, actually. I'm not sure. Have you ever thought uh, when you're reading regular Superman comics, gee, what if Earth had blown up and I had been sent to Krypton? What if in the real world, I don't remember in other areas of the Superman comics this ever happening where one of the characters thought, you know, this story here, I've never, I don't remember Lois in canon, so to speak, uh, ever think, gee, I wonder what would have happened if Earth had blown up. But anyway, uh, some really good art in the beginning of this, too. Uh, we have we see Sam Lane uh, hiding his telescope and all of his scientific equipment in his silo and in his barn and pretending to be a farmer. That didn't make any sense at all. But I liked seeing all the reversals. I liked seeing how they played with all of the different people on Krypton. So we had a Perry White type character we had a jimmy olsen type character we had a uh pete ross we had uh many things and they and they mixed other things in so that uh, uh krypton didn't start its space thing until after lois got there so jor-el didn't need to work on a uh, a rocket ship because krypton wasn't going to explode but jor-el played an important part still so i really liked that that was that was really good uh but the ending no not not crazy about the ending saw it coming Mm, said no and it's weird it's one of those things where i totally forgot this ending until i was reading this story many of the other pieces of the story i did remember but uh this ending no i didn't remember at all and uh it's too bad sorry edmund hamilton your ending kind of took it out of the a plus category Actually, right out of the A, down to a B or B plus. So, um, for the story, which is too bad. Edmund Hamilton, as you guys know out there, is one of my favorite Silver Age uh, comic book writers and science fiction writers. So, I kind of expected more now as an adult, I guess, reading, and it's kind of hard. Maybe there was editorial stepped in. Maybe he did have a different ending for it, where uh, Lois continued on as Candy Can and the as the super maid of Krypton. Maybe. And editorial stepped in and said, no, 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 we got to have everything back to status quo, and she's got to be pining over Superman. Uh, okay, fine, too bad. But all in all, though, I still really love the story and love the artwork. And that's it. 
for the episode. Love to hear from you. What'd you think? I know that I kind of treated it uh, uh, instead of a regular synopsis, this or a short synopsis. I kind of, you know, told it like a bedtime story to a child or something. But uh, all in all, I still enjoyed it. I had fun. I hope you enjoyed it too. So if you'd like to, please get in touch. Bob at supermanforever.com. You can send me email, Facebook. I'm on Facebook. And there's also a Facebook page that you can like. And then uh, periodically we post updates and pictures. And so by all means, join in the fun. And thank you again. It's been fun. We'll see you next time. Superman Forever Radio is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, presented by the Superman Homepage. Superman is based on the original character appearing in Action Comics and Superman Magazine. Superman Copyright DC Comics. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster.